Between sacred space, a temple, an artist's room, a scholar's library, we feel atmosphere. The presence of the devotion and art, study and ritual that have taken place within it over decades or centuries and whose traces now permeate its walls. On Alcove, we enter into erratic places to explore aesthetics, spirituality, and magic. Those qualities we perceive in sacred space and which open up sacred space within us. By talking with their keepers, descending into their foundations, and researching their objects and texts, we try to understand what's in the atmosphere of these extraordinary places. I'm Elisa Carroll. Welcome to Alcove. Above number 62, Rue des Archives in the Marais, hangs a black metal sign that reads humbly just Musée. But once you step beneath it, and through the porte cochere on its enormous blue doors, you find yourself in a courtyard with 18th century walls rising up to meet you. This is the Hôtel de Montgela, a residence designed in 1705 by Antoine Fouquet, and which, over three centuries, has been home to families, nobles, and artisans. Today it houses la Musée de la Chasse et de la Nature, the Museum of Hunting and Nature, one of the most transportive and singular places in Paris. Dedicated uniquely both to art and conservation, it's an aesthetic exploration of our relationship to nature and the wild. Its rooms are now shadowy, mythical domains. The Cabinet of the Unicorn, the Salle du Sanglier, a wild boar, and the Salon de Oiseau, where natural specimens are installed alongside medieval artwork and pieces by contemporary artists, creating an uncanny and otherworldly atmosphere. The visionary at the center of it is Claude Dantinez. As director and curator from 1998 to 2019, he shaped a space where ancient and modern breathe the same air, and where artists and musicians, ecologists and witches gather to explore ideas inspired by the natural world. Before he left his post in 2019 to embark on a new project, we spoke with Dantinez in the museum's offices in Paris. You shared that your mission for the museum was to make a museum of emotion with a free and poetic spirit and a climate of strangeness. These are very romantic ideals. Why did these drive you? I think the, the main uh, aim uh, like, uh, as a director of uh, like, uh, Musée de la Chasse et la Nature uh, is to um, suggest, uh, to, uh, to help, uh, to create a kind of... Uh, a spark of uh, uh, emotional, uh, of creative emotion to the visitor. I wanted to suggest that the visitor, when uh, entering uh, the museum, uh, would be in the same situation as if he was uh, uh, arriving in a forest or uh, coming into the wild and losing uh, his uh, own uh, marks uh, to uh, arrive in something where everything is new and not immediately understandable. It's interesting to note, though, you also came to the project with a great deal of rigor, having been uh, responsible for the conservation and restoration yes. of national monument. Yes. I was especially interested, uh, through my experience of uh, Inspector des Monuments Historiques, I was interested in, in the question of uh, insertion of the works of art in architecture, the relation bet- between uh, works of art and space. 
because that's that's question. Because, uh, uh, a bit, uh, I don't want to, to be pretentious, but a bit uh, like a metteur en scène. There is this aspect. Uh. Do you feel that spaces have an inherent atmosphere or energy to them, or do you feel that that is something that a visitor projects onto it in terms of any space? Um, no, uh, of course. Like, uh, you don't uh, behave in the same way when you are in the case in a Roman church or like a, in a uh, contemporary building in like La Défense or, like or this uh, uh, modern like surroundings. No, no, I think there is a very like a deep like influence of uh, the place where you, you stay and, uh, and uh, your ideas and uh, your, your mind and, and so on. So uh, like, uh, we, we have uh, this... Um, uh, opportunity to, to set the, the museum like, in two very nice uh, buildings. Uh, one is from 17th century, the other one is 18th century, but uh, they have all this past. Uh, uh, and uh, I think it's a good place uh, <coughs> to, to work with the contemporary art because uh, uh, the roots of what we are like, uh, uh, now uh, are like, uh, precisely expressed through this architecture and uh, through this. this uh, all, all these elements is, uh, of the past. So you said that you've written that you wanted a poetic navigation or a naturalistic plan with no barriers. How did you go about achieving that, or rather allowing that? Through my uh, own experience, like, I uh, realized that in many uh, museums, which were done recently in the 80s or 90s, uh, everything is done for the comfort of the visitor. Uh, it means that uh, all the pedagogic tools, for example, are exactly the same from one room to another room. They are like, uh, situated in the same place. So when you enter a room, you have like, uh, no question, no problem. You know what you will find, where you will find it, and, uh, how you have to interp in interpret uh, like, um, the... the works of art or the, the elements which are presented to you. And this, I think, is something which can kill uh, completely emotion because you are like uh, on, a, on a motorway where like, uh, well, nothing will occur, like, uh, you are completely safe. And precisely, like, I think uh, you shouldn't be safe when you enter a museum. Like, it's an experience which has to change you, uh, change your mind and, and change your ideas. Because when you do spend time with all of these spaces, you are entering these other realms of myth and magic and fable and natural history, um, all of these dimensions that you've intertwined. I think uh, uh, in uh, Western countries, we developed a special uh, culture and uh, a special uh, image of nature as if, uh, as human, we were not part of nature, but we are, we are like outside of nature. And uh, the, these, uh, this conception of nature has uh, like many uh, backgrounds, uh, scientific background, but uh, philosophic, uh, artistic. Actually, we always uh, create uh, uh, images uh, to help us to, to live uh, and to deal with nature, but we are also, in, in a way, prisoners of these uh, images. And in the actual crisis of uh, Anthropocene and uh, 
uh, all this question uh, with the environment. And, and, uh, we, we needed to um, uh, create new images of nature to, uh, to change uh, our behavior. And I think it's, it's uh, the aim of the museum to, uh, to help visitors to uh, create these new images. And uh, I think that now our time is uh, rediscovering the complexity of the world and uh, the question of uh, hybridization, uh, mixity, is something which is completely like, uh, new uh, and uh, very rich like, uh, for uh, the, the way we will behave with, with the world. Uh, so like, uh, it's one thing I wanted to express like, uh, uh, in the museum. Dantanez's philosophy speaks to our current cultural drive to reintegrate with nature. The focus of exhibitions, literature, film, and making, our connection with the wild places is conjured up in books like Robert McFarlane's Magnificent Underland and the Lost Spells, in the practices of herbalism and wildcrafting, and in exhibitions like the Cartier Foundation's recent show Les Arbres, The Trees, which was so successful it extended its run. I, I think we, we, are, we are trying to uh, re-enchanter le monde, uh, re-enchantment, yes. I hope so, <laughs> yes. Um, and for example, look, uh, we are working now on the extension of the museum, and uh, we will uh, focus on the question of um, shamanism, uh, because I, I think it's one aspect that we have completely um, hidden like, uh, in uh, Western culture, because it was against a uh, scientific approach. And I think now like, uh, one... Uh, challenge for us is try to uh, reintroduce uh, the, uh, this kind of um, uh, communication the, uh, between species, between elements of nature uh, and a scientific approach. It's, it's something which is very difficult because we have to change our mind, to change our images mm. and uh, uh, on a very uh, uh, modest uh, uh, way the Musée de la Chasse et de la Nature can help to, to, to uh, support this uh, new approach. And the shaman is, tell me if you agree, a wonderful um, figure to represent that because the shaman was originally both naturalist and spiritual leader because they were herbalists but also sages. So that's a wonderful metaphor for re-sort of connecting with the sensual and bringing those two worlds together. Recently we organized a uh, speech on um, ecofeminism and uh, sorcière, yes, and like, uh, that was extremely successful. We we, we had uh, like a thousand of uh, like, uh, visitors and uh, people who wanted to to attend the conference. Uh, and I think it, this is a, an interesting approach because uh, probably for centuries we had a very uh, like a male uh, conception of uh, nature. Like, uh, uh, which went with a kind of a separation between uh, human and nature and uh, domination and exploitation. And now uh, like, uh, we are trying to support the, uh, another approach where the people will uh, like, uh, deal differently with nature, uh, like the uh, idea uh, of prendre soin, prendre soin de la nature, take care, like, uh, yes. It's why like, uh, uh, as I want to, to support this idea in the organization of the exhibitions. The museum goes beyond physical landscapes to explore psychological ground through fable and myth. 
The epigraph of a singular museum, the wonderful little guide to the musée, opens with a quote from a 17th century French fairy tale, Le Petit Pousset, because as he walked, he dropped little white pebbles from his pockets all along the way. It speaks not only to the poetic navigation of the galleries that Denthenez has created, but to the archetypal stories that inform the museum. Here, he shares how the fable of Goldilocks was a symbolic narrative for him, as he created a museum that inverts traditional perspectives, where we are observed by animals and cross into their dominion. Sur la table à manger, il y a trois tasses qui sont servies, et donc là, le premier est trop chaud, le second. Et puis petit à petit, en fait, on comprend que les habitants de la maison vont revenir. Here, we realize that the inhabitants of the house are returning and that the inhabitants are bears. It creates a moment of great tension. We can open the drawer, but it's not completely permitted. It's a little transgressive. Because in a museum, you don't touch. Here, you take ownership of a house that is not yours. So it's this wonderful idea of um, rebellion and kind of transgression in a space like a museum where you're not typically supposed to touch anything and you're in someone else's space or territory. When we return, Dantanez introduces magical objects and works of art. So when we talk about re-enchantment, there is so much magic in the atmosphere at the museum, not only in its spaces, uh, but in its objects. So you have apotropaic and otherworldly objects like the narwhal horn, uh, the bezoar. Um, would you tell us about a few of these, one or two of your favorite of these special pieces? Yes, talking about re-enchantment, I think it's very important to let the visitors uh, imagine uh, what they have uh, like, uh, under the, the eyes and uh, to assimilate it. And uh, one um, great experience that I had uh, a few uh, months after the opening of the museum was to see uh, a young uh, boy, I think he was eight years old, something like that, uh, watching at the... Um, cabinets which are um, focused on the special animals uh, and on this cabinet you can find everything you want to know about uh, behavior uh, like uh, territory of uh, these animals and uh, I have one uh, cabinet uh, which is uh, devoted to the fox. Here Denthanez tells the story of this boy peering into one of the museum's beautiful cabinets which feature drawers and tiny compartments filled with specimens like skulls and horns small artworks and texts. Each cabinet focuses on a particular animal, the fox or the wild boar, and more intriguingly, each has a pair of binocular-like lenses one can look into to see a little film on the animal or its habitat. Looking through the spectacles at the cabinet of the fox, one sees a film of a fox's den, but, as Denthanez notes, the creature itself mysteriously never appears. I saw this young boy who was uh, like, uh, watching the, the spectacles and uh, without moving. And uh, I thought, oh, poor boy, he's very patient. So uh, maybe uh, I should go and tell him that uh, the fox will not come today, but uh, he has to, to, to go again uh, another day, that he will be probably more lucky. And uh, as I was approaching him, 
he suddenly like, uh, shouted uh, and uh, oh dad you know like, uh, I've seen him like, I've seen him, him his tail so I think what, it was exactly what I wanted to do through the museum like, uh, because he created this fox which actually didn't exist through his uh, own experience and his own imagination and probably this uh, like, uh, meeting with uh, an unexistent fox was uh, deeper and uh, more uh, striking for him as if I had presented real images of, the, of a fox as you can see everywhere in the TV or whatever. That's, I think, what is important to, to, uh, kind of, to, to create a kind of enchantment of the, the visit. The Musée de la Chasse is, of course, a cabinet of curiosities writ large. In its rooms, artworks are installed alongside vitrines housing scientific objects and taxidermies. Here, we talk with Dantanez about the Rubin study, where works by Rubin and Bruegel coexist with a contemporary installation by Belgian artist Jan Fabre, Night of Diana. In this very small chamber, painted ink black and half illuminated, hang the two magnificent paintings, Diana and her nymphs, and Diana leaving for the hunt, which are themselves haunted from above, by Jan Fab's circle of owls, gazing down, thousands of grey and gold feathers arrayed over the ceiling. Actually, in the collection, there were these two very important uh, paintings, um, and uh, representing Diana, as you told. And uh, as you know, Diana is a goddess of the hunt, so she's somebody very important for, for the, the collection, for, for the hunting uh, culture. So uh, I wanted to uh, do a kind of um, a case for, for the, these two paintings. Um, but I, I wanted to do um, something like what we call a reposoir. Formerly, like I had seen in Brussels, uh, Jan Fabre had done a very nice ceiling with insects. He covered the ceiling with the insects. Like I thought he would do something like in the same way, and I went to, to see him in Hanover. And he was very interested in Diana. Uh, and I want to um, do something with owls because for me, the, uh, the owl, of course, is the, the bird of the night. And uh, it is also a uh, uh, message for, for the, the death in, it, in uh, Jan Farb's uh, own uh, like, uh, uh, mythology. And uh, he had the idea of uh, doing this uh, big heads of owls where he included not uh, fake uh, eyes like you can buy in taxidermy uh, to do birds, but uh, human uh, uh, fake eyes. Uh, the ver, the glasses. Yeah, yes, glasses, uh, glasses eyes. Uh, so uh, when you enter this room, you have this very strange feeling that you are surrounded by this, uh, these animals, but which look at you with human, human eyes. So, well, and uh, it's important because this, uh, this case, this reposoir, is one of the first things that uh, you discover when you visit the museum. And it, it gives uh, the general feeling uh, for, for the visit, uh, this kind of mixity and uh, also uh, like, uh, enchanted uh, atmosphere. Yes, the eeriness, the identification, all of those ideas come together in this piece really beautifully. The unicorn study features the licorne, the video, 
um, by Medya Fortuné, a wonderful piece by uh, Janet Janine, uh, the god of the forest, the horned man who could be Acteon, it could be Kunanos. Can you tell us a bit about the symbolism of the unicorn? When I organized the museum, I wanted to show how uh, our relation with animals evolved uh, in, uh, from, from century to century. And I tried to um, choose animals which would be uh, representative of one state of mind for a period, like a precise period. Uh, so for example, like I, I try to link the wild boar with antiquity or the deer and the wolf with medieval age. And uh, unicorn is very um, interesting and uh, I uh, wanted to, to link it with uh, that uh, period where after all the medieval period, we uh, enter in a kind of a critique of um, uh, Christian culture. Uh, which uh, gave a uh, uh, symbolic uh, interpretation of all the elements of nature, and uh, a period also where we try to, to do a kind of inventory of uh, the world, uh, kind of pre-scientific approach. And uh, at that time, people uh, were uh, believing in the existence of unicorn because important uh, texts like the Bible or Aristotle were like, uh, talking about that. So at that time, like, uh, it was very um, uncomfortable to, to contest uh, uh, the existence of an animal which had so like, uh, important in, uh, uh, proofs of uh, its existence. Well, uh, uh, it's why like, uh, in the, the water cabinets, uh, the cabinet curiosité, uh, which were created in the late uh, Renaissance and uh, 17th century, uh, among uh, all the objects which should take place in the cabinet, there was a unicorn horn. Danthanez explains that traditionally, a wunderkammer always contained the horn of a unicorn, in fact a narwhal tusk, because it was believed that it acted as an anti-poison. And lastly here he shares how, in the unicorn cabinet, this ancient mythic creature is brought back to life in a contemporary work by Mader Fortuné. So uh, I decided to create uh, inside the museum uh, a place uh, where many things uh, would um, bring a kind of uh, testimony of uh, like, uh, the existence of all, all these uh, like, uh, fantastic animals. Maïda Fortuné, like, uh, who did uh, like, uh, this very nice uh, film where uh, there is a uh, horse, uh, which is dressed as a unicorn and which is uh, disappearing under uh, a rain of ashes. As we shared, Claude Dentanez left the museum last year, entrusting it to its new director, Christine Germain Donat. But though he is now away, just like the fox from the cabinet, his domain will continue to enchant us. The space bears the traces of the art, scholarship, and wild magic that he's inspired within its walls. La Musée de la Chasse et de la Nature is closed as it undergoes its expansion. It is scheduled to reopen in spring 2021 with an exhibition by Damien Derobet. His installation of ancient animal votives paired with his painted, sculpted, and engraved panels evoking the Mother Goddess. 
Until then, you can tour the museum virtually on its website, chassenature.org, and I invite you to visit our website, where you can find images of artwork and further information at thealcoveproject.com. Alcove sound design and mixing is by Jim McKee, with editing assistance by Mika Takuru-Hall. I'm Elisa Carroll. Thank you for listening.